The next morning, on with a coat and a down-at-heels pair of riding boots, even though it was a warm summer day. A scarf to breathe through. Uh, the consensus of the best physicians in the Royal Society was that plague was not caused by bad air, but had something to do with being crowded together with many other people, especially foreigners. The first victims of the London plague had been Frenchmen fresh off the boat, who died in an inn about 500 yards from Drake's house. However, everyone breathed through scarves anyway. Make a move, adventures calling. Forest fires, cougars marlin. Take a chance and roll the dice one day. If you're a DM, play us by you. Millennials can join this quest too. Expedition, we're gonna find a way. Hi there, it's me again, Andy Goodman, coming at you from the fog-shrouded banks of Lake Temescal. I, it is fog season, fog season has started again, although I'm pretty sure this isn't when fog season is meant to be, I'm pretty sure it's meant to be some other time, but yeah, we have this sort of foggy, grey mornings um and it's probably going to be like this for a while now um it burns off by the afternoon but yeah it's kind of nice in a way there's also a surprising amount of traffic noise at this beautiful park because we're right next to uh, a freeway i'll try and noise cancel it later but it might be a bit uh, persistent just think of it as ambience maybe <laughs> so this episode recorded on the, what is it, the 19th of April. Um, it's pretty much a lost episode, except it wasn't lost, I just never recorded it. Um, <laughs> what it is, really, is the concluding episode about Eldritch Organ and all things organy. And I was mildly... Mildly castigated by Barney Dicker from Localudus for never having played a message of his. And truth is, I think I might not have even listened to it. He sent it via an email. And this is going to be the basis of this, um, of this episode. And I promise I would, I, I would play it. It's a, actually a very good message. It's also nice because he records it whilst going on a walk in a very different environment. I think he goes to a prehistoric um, quarry or something. And yeah, it's, uh, I'm just going to play it. And then there's a few salient points to address. Um, and I think actually playing it now, or rather recording this episode now, um, makes it all the better because I've had a lot more time to think through and, and actually run and play through some of the things that I'm going to be talking about. So I think I'm in a better position to comment on them and to or to have my, have a response or an opinion on them so anyway here's barney enjoy uh it's a great great little set of thoughts he has here hi andy i know you want to park eldritch organ for a little bit but i don't think it's that straightforward i'm 
going for a little power walk uh, to move my body and record you this message. Uh, I'm going into an old quarry. Um, It's one of three parks that I live very, very close to. We've got a little dinky one just over the road. We've got an old Roman uh, camp up the up the hill, and then we've got this quarry uh, just just over the road, and that's great because we've got Jaffal Garden and a whole bunch of neighbours. So you know that kind of does the job. And oh look, here's here's a little stream. Okay. Eldritch organ. I mean, I, you know, I was going to call and say how much I enjoyed the the episode with Safer and Spencer and TJ. You know, that was just brilliant, and I'm just, yeah, it's just thrilling, really exciting. And then you've done, you know, you put out the other episode with the other half of the mess that message I recorded, which I had half forgotten about. So. Half a message I'd half forgotten about. Fair enough. Um, and, of course, I'm going to respond to it. So, um, what have I got there? What have I got there? Right. Well, so, I, I, I completely, I completely appreciate you wanting to park the Eldritch Organ uh, in the podcast at least for a while why because with league of eternal guardians the sister project the mutated nephew <laughs> uh, of of eldritch organ i don't know um coming i i hope i hope that'll weasel its way into a bit of your of your 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 episodes in due course. So, um, oh, it looks like a primeval landscape here. Wow, reeds, fallen trees, ice. Nice. Um, so, so, so I'm I'm going to try and and make this my last kind of statement for a while. I'll try and give it all of the hallmarks of a. Are wrapping up for now but please dear listener of Andy's podcast remember that the League of Eternal Guardians is is on the horizon uh, I I think it's been a wonderful exchange that we've had and to have played those games and for all of the ongoing Ah, enthusiasm and uh, creativity that it's generated. I'm I'm really chuffed, really impressed. So, you know, there's a big thank you to you for um, allowing it to appear and grow on your podcast. Um, that's always to me felt like the right place to do it and it's been 
been great so thank you very very much for that and yeah I, I, I'm really pleased that it's maybe altered a couple of things in your mind um, and and yeah I you know I've I've enjoyed it all in in all of in all of my ways which which I think I've reported on enough um, um, what what did I want to say okay pre-written and pre-published all I can think of to say to that is pre-fuck you that's all I can think of and just um, just you know along similar kind of lines um, if I'm reading a book if I'm reading a book then it's highly unlikely that I'm going to feel cheated as a writer, Andy. So, um, have that on your plate, mate, with your pre-written and your pre-published. Of course, you're completely right. Um, Just another little quip to throw in. If you compare Coppola's Apocalypse Now with Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness, which I did talk about in my interview with Paul Sinjin McIntosh, which you must have heard at least in some kind of proximity. Uh, if you compare Coppola's film with Conrad's book, it's basically the same. So all of Coppola's huffing and puffing uh, and the, the all of the improvisational stuff that goes with it. Ultimately, it just comes back down to Conrad's novel. And that is a weird, weird novel. And there are lots of, lots of loose ends in there too. In, in the gesture of, 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 you know, Drawing, summing up, drawing, drawing the Eldritch organ, my Eldritch organ comments to a close. There's something that I've wanted to ask a little bit for for, for a while, for, for for a little bit. I've been wanting to ask something for a while, and it's it's kind of the way that you frame your GMing and. With, in terms of your big campaigns, and that when it comes to the the White Dwarf games that we're playing, or the Eldritch Organ, or something, that they somehow don't belong to that uh, that that larger thing that you do, and that. That I find really interesting, and I don't. I'm. I don't think there's a problem. You know, I'm not criticising you for it. I'm interested in how that is because you know you often talk about your desire for um, accuracy or authenticity and all of those kinds of things. 
when you when you talk about well especially masks of nihilatotep but there are our our interactions at the gaming table are always much more f- uh frivolic and 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 a bit and a bit more off the cuff so i guess my what i'd like to hear about is is more about how you think about those different aspects of your of your gming life thanks again andy uh all the best so thanks so much barney for that i really you know ever since the first messages that you left me i've always been immensely grateful for the thoughtfulness and cleverness and um i suppose that the interest that you've shown um it, it, it really surprised me early on that people would take an interest in this content and and to the point where they would actually leave messages that but that's i I guess the good thing about this platform is it does encourage that i wish i wish someone could fix the listening interface of anchor because it's shit as we all know but the fact that it makes makes it easy to leave messages even if you don't leave them through the platform as barney just showed is a is a huge boon I actually know someone that's just gone to work at Spotify, so I'm going to bug them and tell them that Anchor's shit and it needs to improve its listening interface. I don't think they really care, to be honest. Anyway, <laughs> off the point already, off uh, digressing already. But wrapping up Eldritch Organ, yes, well, we sort of have, haven't we, Barney? Um, I don't know. I don't know if we'll be doing any more Eldritch Organ experiments. However. However, as you sort of previewed or presciently um, identified, there are there there are there's a bit more there's a bit more of that of that um, seam to mine of that uh, vein that that vein of well not gold vein of well I don't know fool's gold to to mine because we actually recorded uh, another episode of of League of Eternal Guardians with the Eldritch Organ um, imprint, if you like, the um, sourcing the group for the improvised story idea. And I have made a promise. I've made a promise to Barney that, that we will edit it and put it up. And we'll probably put it up both on Grizzly Pigs Radio and, and here for anyone interested. This was this was actually a really fun one. Um, we had Scott Dorwood playing um, Vermin Pope Fondler, the uh, punk, the punk rock. Um, well, I don't know what to call him, punk rock provocateur, um, punk rock dickhead. I don't know, but I was playing Vernon Bland, the the bureaucratic dickhead. So we were we were at loggerheads. The dickheads were at loggerheads which made for an awfully fun session. So, yeah, I think that does need to be edited and put up. But, yeah, I, I feel equally glad and grateful to have been brought into this thing. I, I don't think I contributed much to the um, 
to any kind of rules uh, development. That's just never really my thing, not really. But I think I, um, I, I hope at least that I contributed to making the game what it was through play and through ideas and through interaction and and I certainly enjoyed it immensely and it's it's fundamentally changed some things in my head as well as I've maybe mentioned before about about how you can run games in a really fundamental way you know I I've always had this notion that you need to to prep and know your stuff and read and reread and reread I'm, I'm not saying I don't do that still and I do I do and and I'll come back to this perhaps towards the end because Barney's final points about the distinction between or in, in my head the distinction that I make between my I don't know my heavyweight serious in inverted commas campaigns and the lightweight throwaway stuff that I tend to play with him I that has got me really thinking and I don't know if I have a conclusive answer but I'm definitely going to try and get onto it but but yeah wrapping up wrapping up eldritch eldritch organ um it's been a wonderful experiment it's brought lots of different players from all different parts of our gaming universes together and most of all it's been fun i i think the you know the first two games that we played that we recorded i mean that they were I, I think some of the most amusing game gaming experiences I've been involved in. Um, and both as a player and, and uh, as a, as a GM. So that's thanks to you, Barney. The other thing that kind of simultaneously and almost <laughs> Eldritch Organ was almost the byproduct of this, was being involved in Alluvial Plains, which we're still testing, still ongoing. And that's been huge fun as well. Um, to, in, in a very specific way. And I perhaps this is an area I, I want to delve into a bit. Because it's really crystallised for me about why I don't like being a player. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Barney. I'm sorry, Barney. And and I, I hope you can take this in the right way because it's certainly meant with with um, respect and love. But I don't think I don't think I enjoy being a player very very much, really. And I think that you running alluvial planes for me has made me realise this. <laughs> that sounds awful, doesn't it? It sounds awful, but it's an important realization for me because I, I'm committed to it. We're, we're playing again on the 25th and perhaps another session after that. And God, I, I hope you hearing this, if you hear this before then, doesn't doesn't um, dis make you disinvite me from the game because I want to play in those games and I want to try and figure out how to be a player, which I'm sort of stumbling in the dark towards. But here's the problem for me. Here's the problem for me. I do not feel very engaged when I'm a player. I, I find myself disengaging from the game, switching off, getting distracted. I've said this before. I, I don't feel like I've got anyth enough to do or, or, sometimes, or sometimes anything to do. Um, <laughs> It's weird because as a GM, you're you're pulling so many levers, you're driving the narrative forward so much, 
that I think when you make that switch to player, it can be quite jarring. Because what I find myself doing is I want to make stuff happen. I want things to move forward. And yet there's this, hmm, I wouldn't say inertia. Maybe it is inertia, but there's, you're dragging a lot of other things along with you, i.e. the other players in the GM. And if they don't want to be dragged along, you ain't going anywhere. So um, you kind of keep bumping up against the boundaries of the reality that is being created by the GM and the other players around the table. And perhaps as a GM, you're in a much more powerful position to, to alter that reality, to shift it, to move it in certain directions, to call the end of the scene, as it were, move on to the next one, present uh, the appearance of, a, of an NPC or an event or information and, and keep that engine going. And I felt that not knowing, not knowing where we're going, what we're doing, maybe that's just me being stupid, um, not really understanding what's going on in the wider world, I felt lost. <laughs> I felt really lost. Um, it's a strange feeling. And maybe that's the thing that, that all players feel all the time, but that's what they're actually looking for, is this not feeling lost exactly, but feeling like there's this big world out there happening and, and you're this small part of it and, and you're somehow encountering it. And, and, and it's slowly being revealed to you. I've never liked other people having secrets. <laughs> I like to be the one with secrets and then blurt them out. I've blurted out so many secrets in, in, in running role-playing games and I keep spoiling things. I, I, I think I spoiled something in our last, um, sort of, in our last uh, Old Farts Cthulhu game, which uh, I should have really let the players work out, but it just all came tumbling out of my mouth. So, yeah, it's not that I'm not enjoying the games, Barney, but I'm waiting for stuff to happen. I kind of want stuff to happen more. And maybe what it is is I'm out of sync with all the other players and with you as a GM in that game. Because we've been, it feels like we've been, I don't know, fiddling around for a long time now. And I just want the shit to happen. And, and maybe that's why I've played a, a fairly... Um, I don't know, not not a disruptive character. I think I've been kind of going along largely with the objectives of the group, but, you know, I'm a bit of a tricky little bastard. Not really, you know, my motives are a bit uh, blurry, let's say. I'm playing Fergus Slythe, um, the, one of the uh, first, one of the first, um, I guess, appearances in, in human history of the con man, of the short con guy you know invented the shell game so to speak um and, and he's been I, i've had a lot of fun playing him but maybe I, I just feel directionless i've been deliberately or maybe accidentally an outsider to the main group of characters who are all a family and i don't know it's it, that seems to be the perfect um metaphor for how i perhaps feel as a player so uh, I don't know. I'm going to give it a few more tries. Not, no, I'm not. Obviously, I'm going to keep playing with Barney. Um, I, I'm going to maybe try and find some of my other groups where I can be a player uh, for a bit and just see if I can figure this shit out. Because uh, there's no shame in, in ending up realizing that you're not a player and that you're not enjoying being a player, um, or, or rather, the enjoyment is on a very different level to the enjoyment of being a GM. It's a totally different type of enjoyment. And, and maybe this idea of, of immersing myself in a character is, is not what I want to do. 
I love playing NPCs. I love spontaneously inventing characters that can meet the players. And I don't care about them, so they're very disposable and anything can happen to them and I don't care. I think when it comes to playing your own character, playing a character that you somehow feel attached to in some way or maybe should, that's where, I don't know, some things get in the way for me. So, um, if, if, if that is uh, disconcerting or disappointing to you, Barney, I, I apologise. It's, it's meant with, with heartfelt truth and as i said i do love playing with you guys i i perhaps just need to figure out for myself what what i want from my playing now what's been going in the going on in the master of nihilathotep campaign what has been going on indeed what's been going on is uh, there's a there's a maintenance worker in the park or a park warden or whatever with a some music playing in his little truck um so masks, we've we've gone improv. <laughs> what? What? This is the man that spent 400 hours prepping a game, or however long it was. Um, yeah, we've um, we've been, we've switched to improv. We ran a whole side quest, the um, city of the white apes side quest, which isn't delineated at all in the book. And as I said previously i'm sure there is literally no, no material out there about it except this one um really not very useful well it's, it's quite good but it's not very useful like roman setting like um you know ancient world setting of the city of the white apes and it's all got roman trappings and uh, of course you know i adapted it but but really there wasn't the plot there didn't make any sense because it was part of a sort of ongoing roman campaign and so we had to throw all that out. So I took the lesson from from Barney, from uh, Monsieur O'Hare, Herr Dicher, Dicher, Herr Dicher, um, that I would source a table and we would improvise a story around it, and it worked out worked out really well. Um, my players are extremely extremely imaginative. The um, the the final boss. Sort of final boss uh, in the in the gladiatorial arena. So I did bring some Roman stuff in. Um, in the gladiatorial arena was a gigantic orange-furred, conjoined twin, double-headed, double-torsoed, single-bodied um, gorilla, whose um, penchant for urinating on his enemies caused no no small amount of uh, delight and revulsion amongst the players. Yes, thank you, Bert. That is a monster for for the times. A giant pissing double-headed gorilla. Wonderful, wonderful. Oh, I I believe his name was Garkus or something. Gurkus, Gorkus. Yeah, Garkus. Yeah, so we already did it for that. And now I'm, I'm going... I'm going a little bit more exploratory. We're doing something a little bit more challenging, perhaps. Um, although it seems to fit perfectly. So essentially, I came up with a new game for, for the ship voyage to Australia. They're heading to Australia next. And I came up with a new game called Cthulhu. So it is Cluedo, more or less, but for Call of Cthulhu. And so I, I'm sure you can guess. They basically, in this situation, have to come up with a murderer, a murder weapon, 
a motive, a suspect, and a murder victim. And it's it's actually the perfect. I, I think it's a perfect uh, use for this for this idea of sourcing the table for the adventure. Because of course, in this case, you bring in all of the NPCs that they come up with. So then they have this vast panoply of of suspects and and potential victims so you can run it however you want you can run it as a short one where it's just a single murder or you could have you know a series of murders a la agatha christie happening and um at this point players you can listen to this or not listen to this as you wish players um uh, nothing's been decided yet so i haven't rolled the dice yet i'm just we're just introducing all the characters right now um, and I suppose I better not talk too much about it because it is ongoing. And um, they've got a month on that ship from Mombasa to Perth, I believe. No, I don't know. Anyway, somewhere in Australia, somewhere in Western Australia. And and um, I think it's it's already been immense fun because they get this you get these sort of squeals of delight or or suppressed squeals of delight when the characters appear because they're so excited to see their creations appear on the table at the table at the roll 20 and um what was really bizarre was that how much overlap there was um in their inventions you'd think come up with any npc you can think of and uh and yeah like at least 3 or 4 of them were more or less identical i mean how many times are you going to ask for, to source the table and two of them are going to come up with um a, um an elderly ex-wrestler boxer called gertrude i mean seriously that's that just i was like are you what's going on here um but it was perfect because of course they're now mortal enemies can you imagine that two elderly fighters um, trying to board the ship at the same time and um, both called Gertrude that's a recipe for, for violence so so yeah that's that's already been immense fun we've only had one session I, I, could, I could imagine this could, could become our game um, fuck the campaign because <laughs> um, yeah you know the level of engagement I think you get when when they've created the story and the characters i think is on a on a very different very different level really you know it's not just me unfolding the story before them of course so yeah um that's been the biggest outcome i think from all of this and and yeah it's made me really think about barney's final question which was about well to summarize it why do i see my large campaigns in this very different light to these shorter, not necessarily more casual, but but perhaps more frivolous type of gaming. So, yeah. It's a tough one to really unpack. I think there's many, many different layers to this. I think the first one is, rightly or wrongly, I assign a sort of weight to a campaign or to a game, let's say, to a game based on a number of factors. One, is this a long, ongoing campaign? Two, is this from a published book? Three, and this is a bit more dubious whether this is true or not, do I think of that group as 
my, uh, I don't know, my home group. Let's call it my home group. Because I think any other way to describe it would be unfair to them or to other players I play with. Because it's not about how much I like them, how close I am to them, how, how, how much longevity I see in the, in, 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 in the group staying together. Nothing like that. It's literally, and perhaps this is now a, a strange hangover from pre-COVID days, which doesn't apply so much anymore, but it's literally, were they the group that I'm going to be playing with in my house every Sunday? every Friday night, every whatever, whatever the schedule is. Because I think that that puts them in a slightly different position to other groups that you play with online or less frequently or there's less of a social construct around. So I think those are the three things, and I can break each one down perhaps. One, is it my long-term ongoing campaign? Two, is it a published book? Three, is it the home group? So yeah, naturally, when you have a long, ongoing campaign, and perhaps this blends into the second point about it being published, you're, you're already mentally making a commitment. This is going to run for a certain amount of time, circumstances permitting, of course. You know, I've done this like three or three times now, I think in its purest form three times as a GM and a fourth time as a player where you know you're, the group that's sitting down around that table are going to be playing for hopefully at least six months, maybe a year, maybe two years. You don't really know exactly, but you know it's going to be a long time. So you're all mentally committing to it. And therefore, I somehow feel that I need to be more... I have to treat it more seriously. It's not throwaway. If characters die in, in those campaigns, it's a big thing. You know, it needs to be treated with, with reverence and respect. <laughs> that sounds very pretentious. But, you know, it's, it's, it affects, it, it affects the, the, the group because, you know, we thought we were going to be adventuring with this, with this character and they're gone. So we need to do something about it. When characters die in the shorter games, the one-shots, the... Even the sort of serial games like the Wolverswick, you know, we had we had Hector die, and I, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not um, saying that no one, that that I, I get the sense that no one really felt sad about that, that it was just more part of the more 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 grist to the mill, more ridiculous shenanigans for us to play through, and I think the reactions were very appropriate. You know, Badger gently lays his trousers over over Hector's face as a sign of respect, and that pretty much sums up the the philosophy of that group. So, um, and then of course, immediately Barney um, took up Barry, the hapless photographer, whose catchphrase "fucking hell," um, you know, will that—that's his calling card, and 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 his immense reluctance to do anything that puts him in harm. <sighs> Since then, Barry has moved on, <laughs> uh, and we and we now have a new character, which we'll be introducing. At some point in the future, when we get around to putting up the actual plays of Ghost Jackal, kill. But, but yeah, there's a tangible and fundamental difference to me in, in how players treat and interact with their characters. So, so I think that knowledge, that foreknowledge, changes changes your approach. Now, 
as Barney has pointed out elsewhere on his podcast, um, it's not like we run those games particularly seriously. Um, as, as, as he's noted, there's a lot of stupid laughter and jokes and whatever in my mask campaign. Um, uh, and, you know, we, we edit most of that out. <laughs> Perhaps we didn't in the earlier days, so that's why he knows about it. But, but um, I try and edit most of that out. It's not that we take everything po-faced and serious. But perhaps, in a, in a way, I, I'm trying to model this really serious commitment to the campaign myself, and I want the other players, I want the players to be there as well. I've, I've um, scolded them many times about bringing in too many dumb, <laughs> dumb contemporary, contemporary culture references to this milieu that we're trying to create, this authentic setting of the 1920s. And I feel like we're, we're all on a journey discovering that stuff, and, and I, I think they've got a lot better. <laughs> well done, players. <laughs> I don't feel like I should be a schoolmaster, really, and I don't want to be. But but I'm really um, pleased when when the players immerse themselves in that setting. I don't care as much when we're playing one shots, but uh, you know, Barney, I think let, let's look at it. When when we played Walderswick and Surrey and and now Ghost Jackal Kill, I, I think we are reaching for some kind of verisimilitude, even if we are treating it in a very light-hearted way. We, uh, you know, uh, Molotov cocktails, that's, that's all I can say. We actually all did on-the-spot research to find out when the Molotov cocktail was actually created, and it was after the setting, so no, no Molotov cocktails. Sorry. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's a very typical thing, I think, when you're playing, when you're running Call of Cthulhu, is that when was the Zippo invented? When was the Molotov cocktail invented? I don't know whether we need to do those things or whether they're just, you know, unimportant window dressing, but they, they feel kind of important to me. Um, but I think when I'm now I'm now I'm pondering it. When I boil it down, I think it very much is about the players' relationship to the characters they create. Um, I, I don't know how attached my other players are to the characters that we run in in Wolberswick, um, in 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 masks. Uh, no, no, not in masks. In, in in the Berlin campaign. In in um, well, the two-headed serpent. I haven't really talked about that much recently. We've we've had a lot of scheduling issues. We're hardly ever playing it these days, which is a shame because I think it's a great campaign. Um, I get the sense that there's a commitment in all those other campaigns to the characters, but it's not not an identification. And maybe it's just the different players, the different groups have different ways of of playing, but. I think it comes down to that. How closely do you identify that character? How how do you how much do you get affected by what happens to that character? How much care do I have to take to ensure everyone's having a good time that people are actually fulfilled by by the game? Um, there's a different level of responsibility, and it's interesting. Now our Berlin game morphed from being more or less, you know, a short scenario one shot. It's now become a regular campaign, at least for a while. I don't know how long it'll run. There's only one more scenario in the book anyway, and truth be told, I think it would be very hard to come up with new scenarios in that setting because it is so historically situated and I don't have that knowledge. Um, and maybe I just need to get over that. <laughs> maybe run it improv, maybe run it source the table. Um, 
I don't think I'm coming up with a very good conclusion here, to be honest. But I think there's this Venn diagram between ongoingness and and player uh, player stroke pl- player character identification and and sort of emotional emotional investment and commitment that changes perhaps how how frivolous how flippant you might be with with running running that game. And I don't know if that helps you, Barney, or helps answer. Um, I think the the bottom line is though I love both. I love both. There's something I get from the ongoing mass campaign that I don't get from the one shots. Definitely, definitely. But there's also something I get from the one shots that I could never get from the masks games. So I need both in my life, and I'm just grateful, I suppose, that I've met so many wonderful players who are able to to fulfil my needs as a GM in all those different ways. Um, so that's about it, really. That was a very long answer to a relatively short question. Um, as I said, I don't know if I've really even answered it, but I think I've, I've at least given myself a way of thinking about it. Um, there will be more masks. There will be a, perhaps a report on on how that improvised murder mystery went. I, I think it, it could open up a whole different vista on, on our campaign before they get back to the horrible meat of it, trying to save the world. Saving the world is hard work, really. It's much more fun being on a on a luxury cruise liner, um, in, in interacting with a bunch of weird weirdos. Um, Hopefully, the old farts crew will will persist as well. We've we've, as I've said before, we've lost we've lost um, Colin Spike Pit. He he's had to he's had to slim down his his gaming. Um, but we gained a TJ. Um, but TJ, by his own admission, says he can't commit on a long term basis or or even necessarily predictably. Um, he's actually going to have to sit out the next session. So we've had to figure out how. What, what, why, why he suddenly disappears from view. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. Um, I'd love that, that game to continue. Um, it gives me a lot of joy um, playing with Barney and Spencer and, and Scott and Colin previously and, and, and now TJ. There's a bunch more White Dwarf scenarios we could go through. Um, and I'm also having fun adapting them. You know, there's a lot of, lot of adapt, adapt, adaptation that goes on because they're not... They're not deep enough to really sustain a lot of gaming, or at least in a very... They're so old school, it, it sometimes is a bit painful. Um, but I, I think the fact that they are old school gives them this, te- this texture that doesn't really exist anymore. Hey, look at me. Am I an old school gamer? I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm old. And, and um, that's for sure. <laughs> but uh, no, the, um, the millennials I play with and the... Zoomers, yeah, there's a Zoomer. Um, I, I vampirically feed on, on, on their excitement and energy to make myself still feel young. And um, that is where I will leave this, this episode. I'll see you soon. It's a game we're role-playing I'm a stranger and you're making mistakes Smell your